Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're talking pork with Rob Brenneman and Brendan Kelly. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing awesome. Doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Good to have you both on here. And this is a really cool episode because we have a pork producer and we have a pork consumer and we're just going to talk pork. And to start things off, I'd love, Rob, for you to introduce yourself, uh, your background, your family story a bit here, brief, brief story. And then tell us something unique about pigs. Fun fact about pigs. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm a pork producer from Washington, Iowa. Southeast Iowa, Washington County. Washington County is the number three county in the nation for the population of pigs. Um, I grew up on a pig farm. That's all I've ever done my entire lifetime, other than a short stint uh, in the early 80s when things got complicated. I went to work for UPS for five years to, to, pay, to pay the bills, and that just made my desire for pork production greater and greater. Um, so like I said, we're in Washington County. The majority of our pigs are in Washington County. We have South Farms, which is where the baby pigs are born. We have uh, we have about 35,000 sows, and we're growing that a little bit right now. And uh, we have two big farms in Missouri, and the rest of the other two farms are in Iowa. And um, so we and we buy some wean pigs, and we'll feed about 1.25 million pigs a year. And the majority of those are in Washington, Kitkat County, a um, few in Iowa. And so you know, um, I, our family is all involved. We have four kids. And they're all married and we have 12 grandkids. Um, they're all involved in the operation. They have certain divisions, they, you know, like between manure and feed and landscaping and mowing and gravel, you just name it. Each, each kid and family has kind of their own thing. And uh, ultimately the goal is that hopefully the grandkids want to do the same thing someday. Um, I'm, uh, I'm married to Char. Um, She's, uh, she keeps me on a straight and narrow, and we've been married since 1980, so we were both passionate about the business. Um, she was a pork queen in the, in the late 70s, and um, I got my FFA future farming degree about that same time, and so um, we actually, she, she grew up just south of where we live now, about five miles, and, um, and I grew up over Kyoto about 10 miles from here. And so, but, you know, we farm ground, um, all the kids have some ground, um, been active in the pork producers. I'm on a national pork producers council on the board of directors right now. Um, go to church locally here, uh, Catholic church. Um, just enjoy what we do. And that's the, that's your, that's the original farmstead behind you, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure that's grown over time. Yep, it's and, bigger now. Yep. 
Could you explain for listeners who might have no idea what the port queen is? Because that's really cool that your wife was port queen in the 70s. Well, at that time, it's a little different today. Now they call them ambassadors. But um, she would have, uh, you know, she'd have ran. And so she would have been an ambassador or an influence to um, kids. She'd do a lot of stuff at schools, um, go to parades and throw. At that time, it was candy and it should have been pork sticks. They didn't make pork sticks back then. (laughs) And a lot of of grocery store promotions, a lot of seed corn promotions, a lot of a little bit of everything. So mainly promotion, ambassador, mentoring young kids and telling what the pork industry was all about. So what's a fun fact about pigs? And the pork queen itself might be close, but what's a fun fact about pigs? Oh, there's a lot of fun facts. You know, insulin is made from... From pork, uh, from pigs. Uh, today, I, we got a good friend in Minnesota that raises pigs, and and they're gonna they're they're experimenting with taking the hearts out of the pigs, and then they they take all the blood out of them, and they inject them with the humans. They could inject them with the human stem cells, and turn around and put that pig in, or that pig heart into your body, and it would accept it. So that's a fun fact. Um, pigs don't sweat. Their gestation lengths 115 days. They they can have up to 25 pigs per litter, and they can raise up to 18 to 20. I mean, they're just, and they're very smart, and um, they remember you. As, I mean, they're, they're smart. Well, Brennan, what about you? What's your background, and uh, what do you do today, and what's your favorite pork dish you've ever had? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> first of all, I'm from Cedar Rapids, and... Uh, I worked as an industrial engineer in manufacturing, um, automobile manufacturing, and uh, doing statistical analysis. Um, now I'm a missionary in Mexico. I'm on a, a youth with a mission um, <clears throat> missionary base in Mazatlan. And uh, I would say the, I can think of two instances of the best pork that I've ever had. One was a pork loin that was given to me. I believe by my uncle, and I don't know where he got it, but it was this big fat, um, just chunk of meat. And I remember in, I put it on a charcoal grill and I had no idea what I was doing. Like didn't know how to cook it very well. I was in college, but the way I cooked it, it just turned out perfect. And it was the best pork I've ever had. Um, the second best I would say is El Pastor tacos in, uh, here in Mexico. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Al Pastor tacos in Mexico, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so, Brendan, I'll start with you. When we talk about the whole consumer side, what are consumers looking for when buying and consuming pork or animal protein? Yeah, um, I would say just uh, good tasting. Um, you know, pork that tastes good and is fulfilling when you eat it, you know? Um that's pretty simple from my perspective. Um, obviously, you want to know that it's nutritious, you know. Um, you want to know that it's real and it's uh, that, um, well, I mean, the more, uh, the more like naturally um, fed it was, you know, without, because uh, as a consumer, you hear about um, hormones or uh, whatever you do to animals to make them grow healthily. And so I would just say like things like that are, in the back of my mind, but mostly just, you know, it tastes good and seems like it, it's good quality. And so like, when you think about what, what it means to taste good, do you have any, like, yeah. 
you have any examples? What are you looking for when you're at the meat case? To color, flavor, yeah. looks. What what is that? What are you looking for there? Well, uh, probably just. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, just full flavor, like you know, uh, you can tell when a meat has more flavor than than less flavor. Um, yeah, yeah, that's really all I can say. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. So when we kind of move from that. I'd love it, Rob, if you could actually talk through the process of raising pigs. Some of the things that were brought up there were just, it needs to taste good, needs to be nutritious, and we need to understand what's, what's going into the pig, how's the pig game taken care of. So, like, what is considered when raising a pig, and how do we do it? Do we, do we have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, there's, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Everybody thinks we just put pigs out there, but we don't. Um, first of all, just for the record, there are no hormones used in pigs. Never has been, never will be. Zero. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and, and when you talk about real, real product, you know, pork has a campaign now, real, real, real meat, real pork for real people um, because we're getting you know, bombarded by the fake meat thing. But pork is real, no added hormones, there's no added anything, um, just basically, you know, the, the pig that exists. So, so when it comes to raising pigs, there's a lot of things we take into consideration. First of all, we choose, you know, we've got to choose a location to raise them where we want, and Washington County is a great location because it has corn nearby and, you know, bean meal plants close by, and we have a lot of great people that like raising pigs. So... Number one consideration is where am I going to raise it so I don't have to truck, you know, corn all across the country or any other ingredients. Then, then we got markets that are close by, and that kind of keeps the cost under control. And we have families that enjoy raising raising pigs. Um, then, you know, we look at how do we want to how do we want to raise those pigs when you in Washington County, for example, there's more pigs in Washington County. So you say, why would you want to be there? Because it's where we grew up, and and it has all those amenities such as people and, and ground and, and put the manure and stuff on. But it also, um, you know, with some of the things we've learned over the years, like all of our sows are under filters, HEPA filters. So all the air coming in, is it goes through a HEPA filter on the sow farm. So that scrubs all the virus out. Um, and we change those filters about every five years. And then, then the next thing you want to breed, so you want something that tastes good. So when we look at the female, um, we try to we go to the white side of the female, which is a large white um, land race, because they have a lot of mothering characteristics. And so then, then on the sire side, a lot of the stuff today is Duroc based, and Duroc is known for the intermuscular fat and flavor and color. And and so that's today that's what other than the the animals we raise for breeding because we ra- make all of our own females. Everything is Duroc based, and um, and that's for the for the consumer because it holds the color, holds the pH, and and all that stuff. So then, when we feed that pig, we know that the ingredients we feed that pig come from within. Majority of ours comes within a 20 mile radius, and we use 1.2 to 3 million bu- or 11 11 to 12 million bushel of corn a year, um, and so that all comes within a 20 mile radius. So we know the quality. And what's so ironic is that all the corn we buy, the acres that it comes from, pretty much the the manure that comes out of the pits cover the fertilizer needs for those acres. So now we'll talk sustainability. 
That's why we want the acres to go, you know, in this county because we keep everything local um, and people want want that type of stuff. Um, the other thing is on the feed side, of course, we you mainly bean meal, corn, and distillers the ingredients. And um, and as far as feeding for the quality of the meat, um, you know, there's some things you can do there. Um, you know, like try and use a little less fat, a little less DDGs when it comes to the end. And there's also, we're doing, uh, we got research barns today and we're gonna run some things through the research barn on this turn that could enhance the quality of the meat. We're looking at a higher end market that could enhance it, but they're just normal, you know, lysines and stuff that we can change the, and helps change the pH and and the, um, and makes the pork better and more flavor. And, and as far as nutrition, you know, I am a carnivore diet guy. Um, 99% of what I eat is just meat. And of that meat, <laughs> probably 35, 40% of it's bacon. Um, and then I, I love my, I love my burgers, pork and beef. And so um, I have a couple of guys on YouTube I follow, Dr. Ken Berry, that says um, bacon is the, you know, most human or natural product in the world. So, so from that standpoint, there's a lot that goes into raising pigs. So one thing, all things we consider. One thing we didn't touch on, and I know you guys do a really good job of it, but the the 24/7 care component, the antibiotic usage, the, the just the, the processes that are in place, and the checks and balances that are in place to ensure that we're we're there when we need to be from a care standpoint. And so that's exactly right. I should have hit on that. So we have 24-hour care seven days a week. Sometimes you'll miss a shift on a weekend in our south farms because if that, Aaron has a statement, it's called pigs warm, dry, and full of milk. And when the pigs warm and dry, they, you know, it helps them keep from shivering. And the colostrum that comes from the mother gives them the, the antibodies they need to, um, to succeed in life all the way through. And so that's a real, and then we dry them off with a towel and make sure they're ready, plugged in and ready to nurse. And that, that is a huge benefit of that. That's, that's pig care 101. So Brennan, feel free to ask a couple questions if you have some around things that Robert said, but also I'm yeah. curious for you, outside of whatever you might have to ask, what do you need as a consumer to better trust the source of pork? Yeah, so... Um, a few things stuck out when he was um, when he was describing that. And one thing I like about the pork industry is it seems like it's more down to earth than uh, than a lot of the the large, the very very large manufacturing of uh, of foods. It seems like it's still uh, still like a you know a, a small town type of thing, and that that's a really good plus that that I that I get from this. Um, there's a yeah a couple things I believe so. First of all, he mentioned um, just the fact that uh, you got to have a filter for the air coming into that facility. Um, and I, I'm kind of looking at the big picture right now. Um, so I'm, I'm hearing about a many, uh, many food issues, a lot of food issues in the U.S. right now. And a lot of it has to do with not sustainable ways of farming. So for example, a huge crop of chickens, um, there, there's a, I hear about stories of them just dying off from a, from a virus, you know, the bird, bird flu or whatever. And so my question is, why do you, why do we need to breed pigs that need air filters? 
because pigs are meant to be in the mud. Pigs are meant to be in dirty places. So it seems like we're breeding weak pigs that can't handle any adversity. And that, that's, the, that's the little bit of the, the thing that goes through my mind when we say we have to bring in air filters. Because when I, when I hear that, it's like pigs aren't meant to, to, to breathe filtered air. They're, they're meant to breathe, you know, real air. And so that, that's one of the things that, that went through my mind when I, uh, when I was listening. And that's that's great comment. Let me kind of go. I've had I I started out in mud. Um, that's how I was. That's how I did pigs. Yeah. Well, I've been at every yeah. aspect of this business, from mud asshole deep to hay sheds. You name it. I've had ten by twenties, barrel pigs on a five gallon bucket. But um, here, so when I started in high school, um, I'll make a good story out of this. So when I when I was when I graduated high school in 1976, that'll age me. Um, you know, we were 15 pigs per sow. Okay, you had a mother had 10 pigs, and then one thing, and, and they'd lay on half of them because they were out in the mud. Or you would come in, um, you'd put sows out in a sheds in the in the in the real world, and like you call it, and so they died. They had worms. They had mange. They, um, you would have a sow have 10 pigs and walk in the next morning, they'd be too alive because you laid on eight of them. And so, and so when we look at cost and sustainability, that's not sustainable. So every day that I got, I get up, I see how can I do better? How can I provide better? And, and it's kind of funny you talk about filtering. All your hospitals are filtered. Everybody wore a mask during COVID, right? So why did they wear a mask to protect themselves? Is, is it because they didn't have antibodies or because they were scared that they weren't going to live or die? So, you know, so when we look at our world, that we do this because we know that if we keep a pig clean, it has a better chance. So we're going to have 85 plus percent of our pigs that are born to go to market. Back then, we probably had 25 percent. So if you look at the feed it takes to do that and to raise that pig, and, you know, and, and knowing that that meat you ate, could have had worms in it, and the sow could have had mange, and it could have other kinds of diseases, and it took a lot of antibiotics back then to keep the pigs alive. Um, pigs don't, you know, they only had pigs twice a year, and that was when it was nice outside. You got to remember, we're not going to feed the United States and the world just fair on pigs in the spring and the fall, because pigs don't like being outside. They die, Okay. And so when we come to modernization of everything we've done in life, from the car to whatever, we've modernized the pork industry. And the people that are working in the pork industry, by the way, 90 plus percent are family operations. Um, and so we've all, there's a group of producers that, that have all grown up the same way from that aspect of how do I do better? We wake up every day, how do I do better? Well, I put a, first thing we did was put a sow inside in a farrowing crate. So she didn't lay on all of her pigs. That's what started it. So, wow, that worked great. She had 10 pigs and only laid on three. That was an improvement. So then we made different crates. We put in different flooring so they wouldn't scour. Um, we used less antibiotics because back then you used antibiotics for everything when they were in the mud and the dirt because they picked up all those viruses and all those bugs and all those germs. Because it was survival of the fittest, that's a fact, but there just one many fittest left. And so then we went to the next level. If we put those sows inside will they do better next thing you know we were breeding them inside wow from a 50 percent fahrenheit to 70 percent fahrenheit to 80 to 90 to 95 
That's all improvement. That's better use of our natural resources every day of the week. So that, that's been the driver the entire lifetime that I've been alive and the majority of the guys that I know in the industry. And so filtration is just another added cover that says I can raise pigs better. And if I know I don't get any disease, whether it's both the bird flu, the bird flu or the or ASF, if God forbid, that's a that's a um, a disease that's in Russia. I mean, in Russia and China and all this all this countries around us. If we can keep all that out and we can be sustainable and really good at what we do, we will provide the consumer with a healthy, quality product that is disease free and safe to eat, and it'll always be there. Where as you know, yeah. chicken's hard to find today. And one thing you said there too for individuals and for Brennan who might not know what farrowing rate is, when we talk about going from a 55% farrowing rate to like a 90, 95% farrowing rate, that's the percentage of mothers that were bred that ended up successfully giving birth to a litter. And so there's less sows that terminated their pregnancies or went through abortions because they were healthy enough to make it through the whole gestation process. I think one thing that's interesting too is when we... When I hear, and you might even think this way too, Brendan too, or it might, this might be where things are coming from and tell me if I'm wrong. But when we think about pigs, sometimes we think about wild pigs, feral hogs, the outdoor pigs, and the nutritious value and, uh, and just the quality of the pork is very different. And so a feral hog versus a domestic hog are two very different animals in themselves. I mean, a pug and a canine is not the same. So it is very different. But what one go ahead. And yeah, so one thing I would say to that as a consumer, and I can only speak to myself, when when you're explaining these things, they make sense. I I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about pig farming. I mean that's that's straight. But um one thing I do know is that um when when you're mentioning uh things like masks when we when we for COVID. And I know um, this is a hot topic, but um, it needs to be addressed because masks were not healthy. And now there's new studies coming out. They were not healthy. Human air is not supposed to be filtered. And so the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I believe there are universal principles. And so, um, and I understand we, there, there are a lot of things that have been improved upon in hog farming. I, I cannot deny that. But what I do believe is that there are universal principles and we can always learn from those. And so I would, I, one of my, I guess this would be a hypothesis and this would be for somebody to go investigate that's in pig farming. How do we get it to where pigs can, can breathe normal air? You know, because we found out that filtering air for humans was bad for them. And so um, I would hypothesize that it's probably bad for, for pigs as well. It's not a very big deal, it seems. I mean, it seems like, you know, it, they're doing just fine and, and you're making very, very good pig meat. Um, but it seems like to improve upon farming, you know, some of these principles, how can we get back to, to real, to the, to the natural principles while incorporating new technology? So, I mean, I'd have a question for you, Brennan, because I know the industry as a whole yeah. globally is trying to understand uh, what the consumer's perception of this might be. But CRISPR yeah. technology has given us a ton of, uh, of, of possibilities when it comes to 
looking at the genome and, and what can we identify. And uh, I mean, it's possible to go in there and, and delete a portion of the genome that is responsible for a particular virus like bird flu, like PERS, like something else that we might face, as long as we're not inserting anything, but we're deleting something that is responsible for that disease. What is what do you think about? I mean, the, the modified genetics of a pig for them to be healthier and more natural, like, like you're like, yeah. I think the way you're, what is that? Yeah, what comes so, to mind when you hear that? Well, so, um, what comes to mind is that, um, the pork industry is going in and picking out one, one issue and they, they find one issue in, the bird flu, for example. So they find this one virus and they pick it out and they, you know, they fix it however they do that. However, I don't see them fixing the overall issue is that there's, there's not enough, maybe there's not enough resiliency or Hmm. um, maybe the issue is not just the bird flu, but maybe it's an issue um, that's being caused from, from another area. Like maybe the pigs in in hog confinement facilities you know they're they're not walking around i don't think they're walking around on grass or uh dirt i mean i i'm not sure what they what they're on inside those facilities it seems maybe they're just um just bare floors which is very good for production and makes it easy to clean things and and harvest what we need to get but then again <clears throat> these pigs are not able to run around like they would in free you know, being, being free in a fence or something. Um, so that would be my question is why are we trying to pick out all these things going to all these genetics when it's possible, maybe God gave us the process already to raise them correctly. Um, so if, if you think about <laughs> what's happened in, in the last few years, yeah. Um, as far as, you know, first of all, as a farmer and, yeah. And a person that, that does this for a living, whether it's pigs and raising corn, first of all, I, I kind of feel we have a moral obligation to feed, quote, the world. You're in a place doing a mission. If pork is $100 a pound, what good is that going to do you? So Absolutely. When we, look totally at cost, when we look at cost and opportunity to make people healthier, which our product will make people healthier, but what are we going to do, make two people healthy or two million people healthy? Uh, because if you're outside, let me give you an example. We got a friend, we go to Florida and once in a while, we got a friend down there that cuts my hair. She has uh, a couple pigs in her in her little yard. And um, it's almost like a wild pig, but it's not. So last time that sow had two pigs. So in the year's time, the sow raised two pigs, okay? So that just barely replaced herself. So when it comes to feeding people, being how there's less people in our industry, and you can't get people to push a button, let alone scoop shit, okay? I mean, it ain't gonna happen. So so if you wanna eat, depending on if you wanna eat plant-based, or if you wanna eat real meat, that's for real people that has quality, um, you're not gonna get it if it's organic, and you're not gonna get it if it's right. raised in a while. You aren't gonna eat. So your choices are gonna be rice and things like that. You won't eat, so be your choice. Um, we choose because we have an obligation to feed people. We have an obligation to be efficient. All we talk about today, what's the biggest buzzword? Sustainability. 
Having two pigs is not sustainable. Having 35 pigs per sow per year is sustainable. It takes less product, less takes less ground, and you know, and and it's the pigs are really happy in a building with slats on it. It's cool today. It's 35 degrees cooler than it is outside. There's only so many shade trees left, and pigs don't eat grass to live. They eat corn and bean meal and stuff. So if you want to make a product and survive and be in business, you know, this is the business we chose to do, and we do a phenomenal job. And we're efficient, and that's what we made, that's what we do. Absolutely. Yep. And I think that's an amazing point that, um, like, yeah, feeding the world is important because you don't want to want people to starve, and that's, that's an excellent point. Um, however, so this, this kind of brings it to another issue though. So in, in Iowa, there is so much fertile land, right? There's so much fertile land. Um, there's so much fertile land. The problem is, so right now there, there's, you know, certain things you can, you can stand up for and, and certain things you can kind of ignore. One thing in Iowa is ethanol. Okay, so so ethanol is a huge industry. It's brought great uh, economy to our state. Um, however, it it's taking up all the cornfield. It, it's taken up all the land. What could we be using this land for? And so that's what I would like to. I'm I'm just asking questions because I'm not I'm not an expert in this, but I, I I ask these questions because Iowa is such a fertile place. And maybe farmers could, uh, you know, raise pigs in using more of that land if ethanol was not such a big part of the state. And so one thing that would gain the respect, in my opinion, gain uh, respect from, for me for, for respecting the pork industry is if they would stand up and say, hey, what are we doing? Why are we doing so much ethanol? I mean, I know it's bringing in money, but... We could use this for many other things. So I, I could get in trouble answering that question. And so I'm going to be careful because um, ethanol is, is a, a little bit of a sore subject as a producer because it raises the price of corn. And, and we believe it should be for feed needs. But at the same time, we've got an abundance of corn today. We really do. And, and I'm telling you, people are not going to raise pigs outside. There's going to be a handful, but nobody's going to work that hard. Today, I would- It is hard work. It's to work that hard. <laughs> I'm not going to work that hard again. I, I, and, and be so, I'm not going to work that hard and end up with nothing, which is where we went when we were doing that. When we first got married, Char and I had pigs in A-sheds. I mean, we just were not efficient. There's nothing in the world today that's going backwards. And if you want to provide a healthy, quality product to people around the world, and you, you're on missions and stuff, and you believe that you want to keep people alive and feed them, then you can't physically believe in the fact that we can go back to raising pigs outside. And we, you know, I know we might disagree on that, but be careful what you ask for. I mean, in a niche market, people can go in and provide that. But as, a, as an industry... I mean, I remember working with pigs outside. It's it's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, we had some inside for farrowing and outside for breeding. That's a lot of work. So, 
Yeah. I still like to answer a little bit on the ethanol thing, though. I, I don't want to stop. I don't want to bash the ethanol industry because they're farmers and they're, they're they, you know, they spend a lifetime trying to make a living. And and so corn's high price now, and part of that's because of ethanol. And and that's that's a government deal. I mean, you either pay the CR, you either pay to have the ground set aside and do nothing with it and take that fertile ground and grow nothing. It's not going to grow pigs. It's obvious it's not going to grow a lot of cattle because people don't think that's sustainable now. So, so what's the ground actually going to do? It's not people are not going to raise pigs outside. In Absolutely. And and I. That's what I'm. That's what I'm asking for as a consumer. Um, that uh, not that like you would bow to every everything that I ask for because obviously I don't know everything. I know, but um, <laughs> but that you acknowledge that it is a government issue. Yeah. And it would be nice if if uh, more people in industry would stand up and say things like that and say, "Hey, this, this is a government issue." And this should change in our because I recognize farmers are making money and they're making the decisions that are best for their business. But um, at some point, we have to combine what is right and we have to uh, say, like, all right, uh, I'm part of the pork industry, but I have a societal obligation to start standing up for things that are right, you know, things that are right and, and things and calling out things that are wrong. That's what would gain my respect. Um, as a consumer. And so, so when you look at that, um, so we, we got, you know, we got a subject as the consumer wants to, um, wants cheap gas, consumer wants cheap food. Okay, so which one are we going to have? Um, we can't have both. It's obvious, but you know, the, the consumer asked for what was called sustainability or, you know, buy, and they kind of feel that ethanol and, and, and they're now they're doing oil for fuel. Um, so they're taking feed needs and using them on the fuel side and the consumer is buying all that product. Okay. They're buying that product because they want to get around cheap and go where they want when they want to go. And we all know that electric cars are not going to provide that need for a long time. And, and once again, that's going to take something to make that. Um, so when we look at what, you know, we would set aside 50% of our ground today if we didn't have ethanol, protect that, I mean, just to say. Um, and it would get used for nothing because that's how, you know, we grow good corn crops and, you know, the, and, you know some of that's been through genetics and time and, and you know, fertilizer and all that stuff. Um, and so from that point, that is less water that gets used to grow a crop. We can grow a crop on half the water what we need. And so when we look at sustainability, which is the quote buzzword, and, um, and the consumer wants to buy food and be food secure, and they want to buy it for less money, and they want to fill their cars up with gas and diesel, that's where we're at today. So it's a consumer and a government issue. Yeah, and I think I think Brendan, with what you're getting at, is the producer acknowledging uh, challenges and and some of these things. I, industry events, state congresses, these are normal conversations that we're having internally. Of you know, what do we need to be doing about a lot of these things? But most of them are not necessarily just 
broadcasted or or a part of a PR right. communication. And, and that's where I would say is uh, that it needs to be broadcast. I would say that industry needs there. There's no middle ground anymore because there, there is woke corporation and there is non woke, and so you have to decide where you're going to stand and you, you have to make that stand. Otherwise there's, you're just trying to please, you're you're trying to please every whim, but at some point you have to acknowledge, okay, this, either this consumer's right or the woke consumer's right. And you got to decide which one you want to stand with. So Rob, uh, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Rob, what can consumers do? I mean, family farming is a big deal when it comes to what consumers are wanting to support because forever now the the trust is with the family farm and could you talk about how family oriented the industry is and i guess we we see a lot of big names but family farms are the backbone of pork production if not even the life and blood of pork production. Can you talk about that and maybe talk about one or two things that consumers can do to help family farms or, or smaller family uh, production companies? So, um, you know, majority of the pigs in the United States, somewhere along the line, touch a family farm. You know, even if they're raising pigs, even if there's pigs raised for some of these larger integrators, a family farm raises them. And most, a lot of times the family farm owns the buildings and they might feed pigs for somebody. But like in Washington County, for example, we have family farms that feed pigs for us and they get the revenue and the manure from those buildings. And so, you know, so when we look at that picture of spreading that around, it comes back to the family. And, and, and so what we believe is that the people that we have that raise pigs for us and the people that work for us, are, are all, you know, we believe in a community and we do a lot of stuff in the community. And the majority of the pig farmers I know, everybody's got a little different community, whether it's in North Carolina or Indiana or Iowa or Illinois or Nebraska. You know, we're all community-based. And when we when we have meetings, which you'll be coming to here in a, in a month, you know, at, at NPIC, and there'll be a thousand people there. And that'll be, every, every, most, every one of those people will be family farm-oriented. And so, so we believe in what we do, and you can trust the fact that we do it right. Um, we, you know, we have we care, we have, you know, we, we have audits, we have all kinds of things that we go through to make sure that, um, you know, we can verify what we do. Um, there's some things we're working with on the, on, the, on the genetic side, on the DNA side of things that if there's ever maybe someday you want to trace the pork, you can trace it back to my farm. Someday, I think you'll be able to put a QR, QR reader on the package, which I think will be soon, and you'll say, this is the farm that came from. And then you can see a picture of me and, my, and our family, and you'll say, I, I trust them. And we have people that go through our farms, and they say, wow, I didn't know you did this. Um, because that's, that's how or family-oriented the pork production is. And so as a consumer, I mean, if you ever want to ask us a question, ask us, we'll answer it. And because we are consumers, we're the first one to eat the product. We live, I mean, we live right <laughs> in the middle of it. And lots of it, right, Rob? Exactly. Right out our back door of our house is, is, a, is a big farm. And it, we're right there. And so, and that's the majority of it. 
Um, so you can trust us, Brennan, trust me. You can trust. There's nothing that we're afraid of sharing. So Brennan, Absolutely. Rob says you can trust us. What do you feel like you need from family farms or producers to build more trust if there's already some there or, or, or trust if there isn't there? What are a few things that they could do um, that will build on something that, that's there? Yeah, that was really cool. I like the, uh, <clears throat> the QR codes, how you can uh, trace that back to the farmers. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And uh, that, that's kind of like uh, sort of like crowdsourced farming. You know, you, you realize where you're getting it from. Um, it would be cool if you could like figure out, um, well, maybe just like be able to go out to the farm uh, and to see like what's going on. Um, maybe like get into the process of how they're um, producing their, or how they're feeding their pigs, what it's like, maybe even let your kids go out and like learn how to take care of pigs, you know, uh, from the farm that you're buying your meat from, you know, I don't know how that would work, but I think that's really cool. I can tell you with the demand for labor, if you've got high school students that are high school kids that want to work in pig farms, there's not going to be a shortage of job opportunities and it's going to pay really good. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll offer this up, Brendan, that you're welcome to come to my farm. Now, granted, you got to have, there's biosecurity rules. We're big on biosecurity. So you don't come straight from the pig pen in, in Mexico to here, but we do have rules. <laughs> So that has to happen, and I invite Matthew to come too. So you and Matthew, and if you got a kid or something wants to come along, give me a notice, and I got I got the perfect my daughter-in-law and family just love to show you around and love to do that. When we have when we've had several bloggers out and several city people out from New York to Los Angeles, and and the first thing my daughter-in-law does is have them sleeve us out and pull a pig, and and it just it just makes the people just, wow. They, they just can't believe that. And we've even had some of them breed a sow. And then in 115 days when that sow barrels, we call, we, call, we call them and say, hey, you're sows, and we'll send them pictures. The sow you bred's having pigs, and here they are. Or here's the pigs that you did. I mean, we try and involve that in the crowd. But, you know, you got to go through biosecurity practice. So. But you're welcome. You're invited to come. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be so cool. I'd love to. Yep. So to wrap things up, I'd love it if each of you could sit, share something you heard from the other person that either surprised you or um, enlightened something you already kind of knew. But what's something you heard that was, that was pretty cool? I'll start with Brennan. Yeah, okay. Um, I thought that it's really cool that uh, you guys have such a value of feeding the world. Because I think that's more and more important um, in the world today because uh, food prices are skyrocketing. Um, gas is going way up. Um, and the pork industry is set on production and getting the world fed, which is amazing. How about you, Rob? I'm surprised you said that. That's awesome because, because that is a fact, Brennan. Um, and I, I'm surprised... I guess I was surprised that you cared so much where your, where your food came from because most of the time it's about price, price and flavor. And, um, and, but it just, it just intrigues me that you care where it came from. And so that's why we are going to work so hard to get a QR code on our product, which I hope a year from now I can send you that product. 
Um, and that's why I'd love to have you come out so you could share that with the world. And truly, truly, every farmer I know and every pork producer I know, a lot of them are my age, is that we get up every day to be better because we truly feel we, you know, it's not, everybody can say it's about the money. It's really, you got to make money. We all know that. But we have a moral, our, our part of our mission statement is we have a moral obligation to feed the world. And I know some people don't care about the world, but we do. That's our life. That's our business. That's what we do every day. When we get out of bed, I say, how can I be better today than I was yesterday? Because I live it and breathe it and do it. So I hope that helps you understand how we operate. Yeah, thank you so much. So this has been great. Thank you both for being guests on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's It's been real fun to connect the two of you to have a conversation. It's very uncommon that we have these opportunities. So it's 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 pretty cool to see this, uh, see this and to be a part of it. I thank you, Matthew. Brennan, awesome. I love lis- listening. I, I, I hope you got something out of it. Thank yeah, you. thank you so much. It was such a such an honor. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 